Hey there and welcome to the Friends Indeed podcast. I'm Rabbi Joshua Levine Grader. Sorry it's been a few weeks since we've had an episode, but we're back. And I'm really excited to have this conversation shared with you today with one of our uh, staff, Olivia Esteb, who's our substance abuse specialist on the outreach team. And she tells her story of growing up in Pasadena, having some health and personal challenges as a young person, ending up with addiction, homelessness, prison, and how she found her way back uh, through rehab into a uh, career that she loves, helping others, motherhood, and um, I'm really glad for you to uh, hear this conversation with Olivia. Can you tell me uh, whatever you're comfortable sharing, you know, about yourself, uh, your background, uh, you know, and, and, and some of your story uh, before we talk about uh, the work that you do on the street outreach team? Um, okay. I uh, grew up in Pasadena. Um, this is in this neck of the woods. Um, played Pasadena Little League, you know. I, uh, half my family is Jewish. Half my family is Catholic. Um, I got brothers and sisters. I got a brother and two, I got two brothers and one sister. Um, my mom's a professor and, um, my dad's a federal agent and, um, my grandpa was the fire captain of Pasadena. Um, and I grew up in a, in a kind of what you would call a normal home. Um, I was really, really hard of hearing as a kid. So uh, I had a lot of surgeries to make sure I could hear. Um, So kind of from the get-go, I felt a little out of place. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of identity. I was just known as, you know, my mom and dad's daughter, my sibling's sister. or um, And so I think it started off my life with a lot of, like, insecurities. And um, uh so I did a lot of things that were kind of, um, I guess, test the water uh, to try to fit in where I could get in, you know, mm-hmm. and um, nobody, nobody in my family, you know, my we were just working class family, you know what I mean? We didn't have a lot of anything, but we had everything we needed. Um, um, but I had a lot of, I guess you can say... Um, feelings of being unworthy as a kid, which led me to find my comfort zone in, um, drinking, um, through that, I, you know, in that fast paced impulsive life that I was living, I met somebody in Vegas on a girl's night and I ended up marrying that guy and, um, it wasn't the healthiest. Um, we had a child and then, um, the relationship continued to decline. And, um, so that ended. And then I ended up in like a full-blown substance abuse lifestyle um, uh, where it, le- you know, I started going to meetings trying to figure out what was wrong with me, you know, and um, I'm from Pasadena, right? And people know, uh, we, we know, you know, I I didn't want to embarrass my family by the life I was living. So like the worst that my disease got, the further um, east I moved. And I ended up in um, San Bernardino, uh, Redlands to be exact. And and there is kind of where the beginning of finding myself began, you know. Um, 
So at that time, I um, I began using, you know, different illicit substances like heroin. I'm a heroin addict. And um, and I met my husband while I would my current husband while I was in this uh, disease. And um, because of this, I ended up in and out of jail. Um, um, and eventually I went to prison. Um, I got out of prison, um, and I continued to get loaded. And then I, um, how long were you in prison? Um, it was a four year term, but I did half time. Um, and so, um, but they added all my time together. So it really wasn't too long, but I, I didn't learn my lesson yet. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't learn my lesson, um, because I had dug a hole so deep. I just didn't know how to get out. And I didn't have a whole lot of support. Uh, my husband was supportive of me, but he was also in his disease. And my dad was the only person that answered my phone calls. I guess now looking back, like my dad was like, why well, I'm still alive, mm. you know, because no matter what I did or anything, he said to me, you know, mom and I taught you to, you know, bear fruit. Okay. You'll bear fruit one day, you know. I know and I believe in you, you know, no matter what, no matter how much shame or chaos or, and at that time they were raising my son, Patrick. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, cause I, I was sick. And so they took over the responsibility that I had wow. Wow. left. And then, um, so I had got out of prison um, and I ended up, and I went back with my husband and he, he's the best man, you know, he, uh, you know, we always talked about living this life and, you know, but we were at this point enabling each other, right. To live a certain way. He always kept his promises. He always showed up. He was my loyal, loyalist companion. He still is. Um, but when I got arrested the last time I was with him and they took me and they let him go. And I did a 10 day flash cause I was on parole. Right. So I spent six days in jail I got transferred to three different jails, kicking heroin. And when my parole officer picked me up, my dad was at the parole office. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he said, what are you going to do, Livy? And I, and I said, well, right now I want a burger and, um, and I want a cigarette. And he goes, he goes, you got to do something or you you're just going to go back out there and die. And I said, well, if you buy me a burger, I'll go to rehab. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm wow. so selfish. I'm like, I need a burger. And if you buy, cause either way, if he had said, no, I would have hitchhiked. I would have panhandled. I would have got a burger. I mean, I was homeless for a long time at this point, like six years. You were like homeless, eating out of the, you were homeless for, six for six years. years. Yeah. While they were taking, while your folks were taking care of your son. Yeah. And did you see him or you didn't see him? Um, in the beginning, I was, uh, uh, I, I mean, I had gone to rehab a handful of times. I'd get out of rehab. I'd be clean. I'd see him. I'd try. Um, and then I would relapse. Like, things didn't happen fast enough for me. The recovery process was slow for me. Um, I had a lot of um, trauma I experienced in my marriage. Um, and, um, you know, Addiction is just a beast and, and it is progressive and it is full of, um, 
just full of heart heartache. And um, if and if you're not, if I when I wasn't ready to learn anything, like identify triggers, uh, find coping skills, um, be honest with myself, walk in integrity, accept my life for the real life it was, not maximizing, minimizing, living with a mask. Like there's no recovery for me without complete, um, you know, integrity you know, and, uh, and, and being of service, you know, uh, so I was just in and out of his life. And, and, uh, this last time when I had got arrested and I got out and dad was there at the parole office, um, they say like, you know, I, I work a 12 step program and they say, Oh, you got to find, have a higher power. You know, Mm -hmm. you got to find something that's bigger than your disease. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, back in, when I first got clean, I guess said my higher power came in the form of a hamburger because my dad did buy me that burger mm-hmm. and I did go to rehab and I stayed there and I hated it. And I was going to leave every single day, but something was different, you know, mm-hmm. um, something was different. I had a therapist there. Um, and she saw me as many times a week as I needed to see her. She always had time for me. And I think that's why here at Friends Indeed, I always make time for people because it could save someone's life because she wow. saved mine wow. just by okay. giving me time, yeah. you know, I'll, and then, um, well, first I'll stop you there and say that's tremendous. And we're so happy that you're here. Yeah, me too. I'm sorry. I was rambling. There's so much. Oh, no, no. <laughs> It's it's yeah. really what I wanted to hear. How long, how long are you been in recovery now? Um, since December twenty third, two thousand seventeen. Two thousand seventeen. Yeah, I spent six months in rehab, and then um, I met my best friend there, and I ended up working as a waitress. And um, I didn't know what to do with my life except try to help other people that had uh, were addicted. You know, I was like, I don't know, I I gotta pay it forward. You know, mm-hmm. that's how I ended up doing this, you know. And, and so you're reconnected with, with your son. Yes, yes. Oh, I have 50% custody, yes. How old is he now? He's 10. He's 10. Mm-hmm. I know you have some other kids too, right? Yes, I do. Yes, yeah. I do. I have a, a, a he's going to, he's going to be 10 months. Anthony is going to be 10 months on, um, on the 11th of August. And I have Stephen who is, um three. Wow. He's a character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, well, let's do this. Let's take a quick break and uh, we'll come back. And I want to, I want to hear more about, about your work life and how, how you've, uh, you've, you've, you've turned this around. So stay with us and uh, we'll be right back. A huge thank you to all our donors, volunteers, sponsors, and everyone who helps make Friends Indeed the place that it is. So we're back uh, with Olivia, who is our substance abuse uh, specialist uh, on our street outreach team. Um, So we just heard, uh, you know, your life uh, or a large part of your life story. And I'm very grateful that you you shared so personally. And and God, I hope I didn't share too much. Well, no, it's there's no (laughs) sharing too much. It's your, you know, it's your story. Um, And and so what was the what was the journey from 2017 
on that day when when you entered into uh, uh, the rehab and and started working the steps and to to now to being a a licensed you know a substance abuse specialist. Tell me about uh-huh. that. Um, I started going, I started like dabbling in school while I was in rehab. I started getting real antsy and complacent and I was like, I got to do something with my time. So I started going to school, um, and working and going to meetings. Um, and I, I I meant to, did you graduate high school? Yes, I did. I graduated graduated high school. school. Yes. But you hadn't gone to, to college. No, no, I, um, I graduated, uh, high school. I ended up going to like an adult school to Uh finish, Uh um, like a continuation, I guess, like an adult school. Yes. And then, um, at the community education center here in Pasadena. And then, um, and then, but I, I, uh, was, you know, I lived a life where I was always trying to find the quick way out or fix or whatever, but nothing works that way. I learned that through the rehab process. Um, and uh, so I started going to school um, and and I real and I started, you know, I was working as a waitress. I got a job at a crisis center. Mm. And when I got the job at the crisis center and I started working with like co-occurring real high acuity unhoused people, I thought, holy smoke, something clicked. I was like, I love this demographic. Mm. Right. Like there's nothing better for me. Like these are my people, you know, I, I, they're just, they're my people. So I um, was working at, I had, there was a social worker at the, at the crisis center who went to APU and she was a real good mentor. And so after I left there, I got a counseling job because I started needing hours for my counseling. I went to a counseling center for women and women with children to rehab, and I had awesome support there, mentors there, but I never forgot about school. And I thought, okay, I have to go back. Um, I, you know, I did a lot of the counseling. It it just was a right fit. It took me my whole life. Like every, every mistake I ever made, everything I've ever done, like I learned the hard way, but you know what? I am so grateful because I found myself and I found Mm. my passion, my calling, Right. And it's to serve this demographic, the demographic of forgotten people, the lost. Right. I love it. And um, so um, uh, I so I started going to school. I got a scholarship to go to APU for social work and I started going to school. But then God blessed us with Anthony, (laughs) Anthony uh, Estev. And um, so I had to take a little hiatus. Um, and, um, you know, once we had Anthony, I realized, okay, maybe full-time school and three kids and a husband is not going to work at this time Mm -hmm. in my life. So I took a little break and then I applied here at friends. Indeed. I was going to go back to the counseling job. I interviewed, I like, I was trying to figure out how to go back to my old job and I interviewed here. And I rambled like I'm rambling now in the interview. I was so nervous and, and, um, and then, uh, Tish called me and said, Oh, do this vignette. And I thought maybe I just won't do, maybe I'll just go back and counsel. My husband's like, just do the vignette. And then what do you know? I got hired. Right. So, um, so now I'm here, you know, and I got, you know, I'm a certified counselor. 
And uh, Friends Indeed has been really supportive for me as far as like any kind of like professional development I want to do. I ask and like I get study materials or, um, you know, any like anything. It can be a book like I got a harm reduction book, you know, so I can, you know, I really to, to really specialize in in, um, in in this career, you know. It's fantastic. And we're very, very grateful for you, Olivia. Can you... Um... Let's dig in a little bit. What what does a day look like uh, for you? Uh, and and you know what what who are you working with? Where are you? What what are some things that you use in particular? Um, you know we have a multidisciplinary team. You know we have different folks on our team that have different uh, skill sets and specialties. So what's uh, what what are you doing on most days? Oh, um, well, there's many things we, I mean, okay, so I can plan my day, but it doesn't mean that's the day the team, all of us can plan our days here in this, in our team. Um, but you know, normally in the, in the morning we meet and we kind of talk about what we think we're going to do, like what's scheduled. And then, um, uh, we go out and meet with clients, um, case conference, uh, uh, help people collect documents, um, do a lot of crisis intervention. Um, Can you tell me more about that? What does that look like, crisis intervention? On the street? On the street, yeah. Um, people on the streets live incredibly difficult and challenging lives. Like it's a day-to-day survival, you know? Yeah. Um, they, if they are on benefits, they get very little money every month, like $221, um, sometimes less, um, you know, and they all have different stories. Um, and, and, uh, you know, somebody could be, you know, some, somebody they run around the streets with could have had an overdose and died. And that was their only support, you know, so you can meet people at really interesting, uh, points in their life. And when you're approaching them, to see how they're doing, uh, what their living situations like. Sometimes these questions can be, we have to be very trauma informed, can be triggering because you don't know what has happened that day. Um, And a lot of it is hearing them, especially if they're unpredictable. They peak, it's listening, hearing, it's listening them talk, let them peak. And once they've peaked, you know, kind of reading the body language, maybe reflecting back, let them know they're heard. Because even if it's off the wall, what they're saying, like in a, like something that I do is I, we all have this, we all know what feelings are, right? I know what it's like to feel scared, hungry, hurt, lonely, disappointed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, unsure, anxious, right? So I can always identify without ever feeling they're representing, right? So I try to find a common ground with them until, or, you know, until they kind of come down and we can kind of get to the bottom. Okay, what do we need to do to fix this? You know, mm-hmm. how do we address this? What do you want? You know, because most of the time when they're in crisis or they need something, sometimes there's an immediate fix. They just want water mm-hmm. or they don't have shoes or, you know, or they need it could be anything, you know, or they need to know where the nearest, you know, bathroom is, you know, or just walking in with them somewhere. So they're permitted to use the restroom, Yes, you yes. know, um, uh, because there's a, a, a large stigma that's wrapped around those who are unhoused, you know, so they can't always go into the same place as people that are considered, you know, normal or uh, can go to. You had a really special experience uh, th- that kind of culminated uh, yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. and so 
Can you tell us a, a little bit of, about that? Oh yeah, I I got it. Um, on my case, I have on my caseload. I have a lot of really beautiful people, and I have one that is exceptionally special. And he's kind of an outlier on my case um, because he has a he he uh, has a developmental disability, and um, so we met. I met him. We met him actually um, at the bad weather. Uh, shelter or supplies handout, you know, at the church. And, um, and he came in and, and um, I think Melissa might've done his intake, but he ended up on my caseload. And so I met with him and he was very, uh, it took some, some digging, but I got, we got to know each other real, real well. And um, he, he come to find out, you know, he's, um, He's got this autism. He's a student at PCC. He was living in a home where he was being abused. Um, His sister lived with him, but when she left, he packed up his stuff and he left too. And so he, you know, we put him up in a motel during the cold weather season and, and he was unable to really express how he was feeling. Um, But we ended up discovering some words like anxious, scared, sad. Um, And I would just basically it was kind of slow moving. I'd supply him with things. And I thought, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I want him to live in a safe place. I know he wants to be housed. He's telling me he wants housing and he doesn't have like two nickels to rub together, you know? So we got him some benefits. Um, I, I talked with my boss, uh, Tish, and she asked me questions like, is he part of the regional center? I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. So I just started making phone calls. I went to a resource fair that Friends Indeed participated in. I met somebody from Ability First. I contacted Ability First, um, ended up talking with the director over there. He led me over to Villa Esperanza. And then by this time, we had gotten in touch with the regional center, the caseworker there, got him hooked hooked up with Villa. Um, Villa gave, Ray an, oh, gave him an application, um, gave him an application for housing. He comes to the office. He's like, I'm, I don't know what to do. You know, I'm like, sit down, let's do this, you know? And we went from him having no very minimal eye contact, very close body language to him, smiling, feeling more confident, um, filling, filling out the paperwork, asking questions, you know? Um, and so we've been doing this all on his own. Uh, but living uh, or taking care of this on on his own with you yeah yeah Yeah. so we we just kind of he kept his appointments if he didn't come I went looking for him because I knew he was feeling sad or something was going on he ended up getting involved in church Um, he's joining the worship team he's getting baptized in August Wow. Um, he he's just an aberration he's amazing and so Villa Esperanza uh, we got he got enrolled in the um the like a life skills program. Now he has a life skills advocate, a social worker. Um, now he's actually yesterday got to move into a home uh with his and he likes his space, right? He likes he doesn't need like a lot of stimulation, but he got his own bedroom, his wow. very own space, and he can stay there indefinitely if he wants, and he also has an option to go to an apartment. So 
um, and he'll have continued social work, uh, social work visits. It's wraparound. He's got a live-in caretaker who's going to help him learn how to do laundry and cook. Uh, he has a social worker. They have job placement opportunities for him where he'll get paid, you know, and learn new Villa, skills. Villa yeah. pays for this, right? Yeah, regional center. Regional, um, center. regional center, yes. Olivia, I'm I'm really grateful for this, and I, I I'm really grateful to you and that you're doing great work here, and uh, that you were willing to to open up and to share. And I hope that you know people listening to this uh, get get more of a an insight and understanding of 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 the work you know the work that that you all are doing each and every day. So thank you very much for for hey. talking. Thank you. And I really love friends indeed. I love working here. I think it is an honor. I, I am so like, God put me right where I needed to be. I'm so grateful for this, this, this place. So yeah. thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. I am so grateful to Olivia for taking time and uh, really sharing deeply and personally uh, about her, her story. I hope uh, you were inspired and, um, I think going forward, I'm going to spend some time interviewing other of our staff because each one has such a, a unique and powerful story about why, why they do this work and um, you know, how much they, they love the people that they serve, uh, they love uh, what they are able to offer in the world, and I'm just so proud and grateful uh, to be able to work uh, with such amazing folks. So thank you for joining. I promise that we'll have some uh, episodes coming up Uh, in a row uh, without such a break. Um, And so if you like this uh, episode and want to share it with others, please do. Uh, You can get it anywhere you get your podcast. And if you want to learn more about us, check out our website, friendsindeedpas.org. We're on social media. And uh, just uh, be in touch, stay connected, and thank you so much. So I'm Rabbi Joshua Levine-Grader. This is the Friends Indeed podcast, and we'll see you next time.